Well, a number of things offensively for Oregon on the personnel front are changing going into next year, but that doesn't mean their philosophy has to. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day for watching on YouTube, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you haven't already, like, comment, subscribe, please, and thank you wherever you listen to or watch this show, which today is brought to you by LinkedIn Jobs, helping you hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your 2023 goals. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash locked on college. Terms and conditions apply. So question to begin today's show. From Alex Wells, you can get in the mailbag to YouTube comments, Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks DMs mentions wide open. Alex asks a most intriguing question. I love your guys' questions. They're really, really good. A huge part of that offense last year was the deep tight end room and offensive line. I agree. And while I'm excited that the receiver room is stacked, I also agree. I'll touch on that in a sec. I'm concerned their physicality in the run game might be lacking. Do you think there'll be more of an air raid type offense? So with regards to the receiver room being stacked, a couple of you have asked me the question about Trayshawn Holden and the charges being dropped against him. I have a very quick take on this. It doesn't automatically mean he will be re-added to the team. It doesn't mean he can't be added. Dan Lanning and his staff are going to make the decision and I as an outsider am going to trust and respect that they are going to make the right call. They'll assess the facts and understand what they believe is the best path forward. And whatever that decision is, I think they will have arrived at that conclusion from an informed perspective. And then we'll assess from there. That's all I want to say on that. But it does tie into the question that Alex asked here. Now, the notion about the tight end room being a part of the physical offense from a year ago is very, very true. And I think Oregon's offense was more run-centric than people kind of realize from a year ago. Because we had downfield passing that just wasn't there for big shots and big chunk plays to make drives easier from the year prior, I think a lot of people might be operating under the assumption that it was a more pass-heavy offense than it actually was. The run game is what Oregon did well more than anything in 2022. The difference was they hit downfield shots, they used the receivers better, and Bo Nix was really, really good. I mean, 71% completion is shockingly good. I, I think if you went back in the history of Oregon quarterbacks, that's like top five or ten seasons from a completion percentage standpoint. Pretty sure it's top five all time. That's a really, really high number. So that was a part of it. But the tight end room has been a key part of the running game and the RPO game more so that was with Joe Moorhead for the last couple of years. And in 2021, the tight end room was really important. You had Tferg and Matavau, who are true freshmen. You had McCormick, who unfortunately got hurt. So then DJ Johnson, I think, played some tight end that year and the year before. 
You had Spencer Webb, who was really good, RIP, of course. They were going three and four deep regularly. And in 2022, is the same deal. It's why we've talked about that position. It's why Deuce Robinson is still going to be on Oregon's radar from a recruiting standpoint. Because going into next year, without McCormick and Mataval, and I'm bummed losing both. McCormick just just a, a great guy, a hard worker, and a good football player too. And I was really bummed to lose Montevau, whose upside I thought was tremendously high. And I would have felt much better right now about Oregon's tight end room if the top two going into next year were T. Ferg and Maliki Montevau. But that's not where Oregon's at. And so the tight end position, this is why Nicholas Harbor would have been a great addition to play tight end, is easily the biggest question Oregon's got offensively right now. But the tight end room has been a big part of why the run game has been successful. Those guys are good blockers and good pass catchers. They do a number of things offensively, but they've been used in a variety of ways. And from what I've seen and what the numbers indicate as well, they all do it pretty darn well. Can still improve, but they do it pretty darn well. So I agree that that was a part of it. Now, the receiver room, with or without Treshawn Holden, I feel pretty good about. I would feel better if Holden was there, but again, we don't know, and we'll just wait and see. But you got Franklin, you've got Johnson, you've got Hudson. Roderick Pleasant could maybe be playing in the slot, maybe a little, a little bit more on, coming on him a, a bit later in the show. You've got Jerion Dickey. You've got some other young guys. Like th- There is a good, healthy amount of talent in the receiving corps. But the offensive philosophy doesn't actually need to change. Oregon was, at its core, in 2022, a physical run-first offense with really dynamic running backs and a mobile quarterback, a great offensive line, and good blocking tight ends. They can still be that in 2023. Even if they don't add another body or two to the room, which I expect they will, whether it's Deuce Robinson or a transfer, I think they will add another player at that position group at some point in time. You can still run the ball about as much as they did a year ago. Because think about this. How many of Oregon's run plays actually came with multiple tight ends on the field? It was mostly the 14J package. I mean, those were the moments where you had three tight ends on the field at once. You know, Patrick Herbert would line up as the fullback, and then two of the other three tight ends, T. Ferg, Matabau, and McCormick, would line up as the tight ends, and then Connor Lee in there as the offensive lineman. That was the package. You could still do that with the roster that Oregon currently has right now because a lot of times those guys don't actually have to be tight ends per se. I mean, Noah Sewell lined up in the fullback position against Colorado, and he got a carry for a touchdown. But it's not that hard to have a guy like Noah Sewell, Mateo Uyunglele, who played tight end in high school, could be a perfect candidate for this. You could have guys who are just in there for one specific package who you say, hey, we're going power run here. Go in there and hit somebody. This is a college football roster. A lot of guys could go in there and hit somebody. But that's the only time where you need where you'd say okay it'd be nice to have you know a, a plethora of of tight end bodies but i want to talk more about why oregon doesn't necessarily 
have to go air raid, though it's interesting that the that you bring up that particular point. Another interesting point is that LinkedIn jobs is fantastic. It just it just it just kind of is. And and if you or someone you know is a small business or a hiring manager, you know that success this year all depends on the team members you surround yourself with. That's why you have to check out LinkedIn Jobs. With LinkedIn Jobs, you can hire qualified candidates more efficiently by matching open roles with the people who have the skills, values, and experiences to help you achieve your goals. They make it easy to screen and rate applicants based on your job qualifications all on one platform. LinkedIn Jobs helps you find the qualified candidates you want to talk to faster. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash college. That's linkedin.com slash college to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. I don't think just because the Ducks won't have as many tight end bodies as they did in the last couple of years that they have to change things up because the run heavy game was mostly out of 11 personnel, one back, one tight end and three receivers. That That's where most of Oregon's running success came this year. They did a lot of pin and pull with, you know, they do like a, like a tight end who'd line up as an H back pulling with a garden or a tackle up into the hole. Or they would just do straight zone runs, try to collapse the side down. I don't think any of that has to change. Now, I am curious what Will Stein's going to do with the offense. Because when you look at the personnel Oregon has, if they wanted to, they could go more air raid. And that'll be a conversation that Will Stein, just as in more, air raid's not the right term. They could be more pass heavy if they wanted to. But Dan Lanning's a head coach, and defensive coaches tend to want to have a really strong identity running the football. And it went really well for Oregon last year. So I don't imagine, even though Lanning obviously likes Will Stein, hence why he brought him in as OC, he's going to give him full reign over the offense and just say, hey, do whatever you want, make whatever changes you want. Lanning is going to have schemes and ideas and concepts that he'll want to continue to work in and also probably allow Stein to put his own wrinkle on things. But if Will Stein wanted to go five wide more often, yeah, I think Oregon could scrounge up enough receivers to do that, right? Probably four receivers in a tight end. Those five wide looks that we ran a lot last year oftentimes only had two receivers, two or three you know, it would a lot oftentimes be, you know, Coda or Hudson and then Franklin on the outside, but then it was a running back and one or two tight ends, uh, oftentimes when, when they would go five wide. So I suspect that that won't happen quite as often, but I don't think the philosophy is fundamentally going to change. I don't think it needs to. I, I mean, we, we saw what Oregon did a year ago. You have a lot of the same personnel. There's certainly a hefty amount of turnover, but I think you have enough of the same players to where you can say, if the offense looks exactly as it did a year ago, they're going to be in pretty good shape. But good question. That's a, that's a really, really good question. Here's another one from Sam Jett, J-E-T-T, like Joanne Jett and the Blackhearts. Um, <laughs> I just know them from the one song, I Love Rock and Roll, of course. Who's another wide receiver you like that might not be the biggest name to watch for? Would love to hear what you think, Spence. So this is in regards to Treshawn Holden being dismissed from the team and the guys poised to fill the void there being Jerion Dickey and Kyler Casper. There really aren't that many other options, 
but there are a couple. And the interesting one, I think the wild card here for a guy who could see more playing time than he was otherwise going to if Holden is not put back on the team is Kenyon Sadiq. Kenyon Sadiq's comp is Kyle Pitts. He is a tight end, but he is a hybrid wide receiver tight end sort of player. All, speaking of guys who could, you know, just go in in a 14J package, hit somebody. Yeah, he's he's certainly in there. I wonder, because Holden is a bigger body, like he's kind of on the cusp of being that, that guy who could line up at tight end if he wanted to. I think that's kind of what Sadiq looks like. I know he's coming in as a true freshman, but he's got the body type. I don't think this is a guy who needs to mature into – uh, you know, weight room or an eating program or anything like that to add weight to be ready to play at the power five level. He's someone who's capable of contributing day one. I would I would look at him and say he could have a shot. He could have a shot to see some more snaps. He might be seeing some anyway because currently he's Oregon's number three tight end. I mean, it's T. Ferg, it's Patrick Herbert, and then it's Kenyon Sadiq. And I, I I like Patrick Herbert, but if Sadiq comes in and he's a total stud, he could be the number two tight end because Herbert's shown some nice things, but he hasn't been so good or so dominant that I'd say, no, he's got a firm grasp on the number two tight end job. I think it's his right now, but I think Sadiq could definitely earn it away from him if, if he really, really pops as a true freshman. The other guy who I'm curious about is Roderick Pleasant. There have been some rumblings this way or that way, whether or not he could play wide receiver for Oregon. Now he's recruited as a defensive back, listed as a defensive back, but has some experience and could be a guy. I, I feel like with him and his speed, he'll be like a he could be like a Dory Jackson was at USC. He's a corner. He plays DB. That's what he is. But you have offensive packages for him because he's such a good athlete. I mean, if you look at his recruiting profile and talk to people who've covered him, he's one of the fastest individual players in the entire country in the 2023 prep recruiting class. That's not a small thing. I I don't think Oregon would bring him in and make him a full-time wide receiver, but I could see him getting offensive touches. And I wonder if, you know, they, they had a guy in... Holden, who they thought would be a starter, and it opens up an opportunity if someone like that could see more reps. I don't know. I don't know. I think it's a really curious thing to watch. I can't wait for the first practice report uh, to just kind of see who's who's lining up where and such. Um, okay, we're gonna we're we're gonna talk about some other Oregon sports here. Some of which are good, some of which are not so good. Let's start with the not so good. I was like getting the bad news out of the way first than ending on the good news. You know, like if I'm going to make a triple bogey and a birdie, I don't want to go birdie triple. I want to go triple birdie. Just my personal philosophy. We might not be seeing either Oregon basketball team in March Madness this year. And you know what? I am bummed about it. Now, the season is not over, but we are winding down here really quickly. And if the women's or the men's team were ships here, they'd be taking on water and the hole seems to keep getting bigger. 
The women just can't find a way to win games. Depth, youth, both been persistent issues this year. Certain players struggling and not living up to their full potential at times. It's just been a big-time struggle bus as of late. And the women, I, it seems like they're playing themselves. I mean, they, they have been cratering the last couple of weeks. They have been, I, I've never seen the program since Kelly Graves has been there, just struggle to win games time and time and time again for such a prolonged period of time as they have the last couple of weeks. It's really, really odd. And then on the men's side, oh my gosh. It's, it's infuriating. It's infuriating for me, especially. I know some of you don't care about basketball as much as football. I get that. I care about football more too, but I love college basketball. I love it. When I am prepping for broadcasts, I will throw on a random college basketball game in the background. Give me a Big East matchup between Creighton and Villanova. I don't care. I want to watch it. I love it. It's outstanding. It is my favorite sport to broadcast from a play-by-play perspective. And it's a great thing to watch on TV. And I've seen both of these Oregon programs be a part of March Madness and be a major player in March Madness. And that's why it's so frustrating to see them start to come down to a level that they just should not be at. Because I know that those coaches are capable of more. I know the teams are more talented than they're proving. But the results are just straight up not there. And the men going into last week, I mean, you talk about disappointing. If they had won at, they were playing Washington and Washington State, who had a combined record on the season of being under 500 and were well under 500 each in conference play. Oregon went up to the Evergreen State and took two L's, not one, but two by a combined four points. Why were those games even close? Oregon is more talented than... Like, if you put together an all-star matchup of the Washington State and the Washington teams, Oregon would at least be able to match them, if not surpass them in just overall talent. But they are just not playing to their potential. And if they had won against Washington, they would have been in the field of 68 and controlled their own destiny with easy games down the stretch. I mean, their final five games were as favorable as you could possibly imagine. And now they are conference tournament or bust for March March Madness. There's no other way to feel about that other than to be frustrated. Washington, Washington State, lower half teams. Oregon State, really bad. Bay Area teams, you get them both at home, neither one is good. You'd be out for revenge against Stanford, and Cal is one of the worst Power 5 basketball teams of the last 20 years. It was all there, right in front of them. All the inconsistencies, all the frustrations that we've talked about over the course of the year with the basketball team. Despite all that, they had done enough to control their own fate to get into the tournament. Which they still do, but now it's a much tougher road because you got to win the conference tournament in Las Vegas. Maybe they will. I, I'm not going to ever stop watching them because that wouldn't be, you know, doing my job or anything. I also wouldn't be doing my job if I didn't tell you that Built Bars freaking rock. They really, really do. 
100% real chocolate on the outside, a bunch of great flavors, 130 calories, four grams of sugar, a whopping 17 grams of protein. What more do you need? They're healthy, they're delicious, and they got a bunch of great flavors. You got to try Built where healthy is actually tasty. They're perfect if you want to keep your New Year's resolution going. Built Bars are the way to go. You can go and get yours at Built.com as always, or you can go to your local Walmart or Sam's Club, get a four-bar box, 13-bar box, whatever you want. Whatever tickles your fancy, go get them, and you will find something delicious out there. If I sound frustrated today, it's be well, just on this particular segment, first half of the show, and eh, not as much, but it's because it's a frustrating time to be an Oregon basketball fan. I mean, the women just can't win games. The men can't play to their potential consistently. I mean, they, they had a bad loss against Utah Valley. They had a bad loss to UC Irvine. Who's the other bad loss to? I think there was one more in there. But they had done enough. They beat USC. They beat Arizona. They beat Arizona State. They swept the mountain schools at home. They were doing what they needed to do. And you saw the potential. It was right there. And then, and then it's it's the same story as last year. They just, they're right there. But they can't win the games they're supposed to win. They are the living embodiment of the 2021 Oregon football team. Just play up or down to your competition just about all the time. It's frustrating to watch. It's a really, really frustrating thing to watch. But we keep watching. We keep supporting. You got to endure the tough times to enjoy the good ones. Goes to show you how hard it can be. Because I'm not going to sit here and tell you that Kelly Graves and Dana Altman aren't great all-time basketball coaches for for Oregon Oregon's programs. Because they are. But their teams, and they know it. It's not like you need to come on here and say, oh, man, so-and-so needs to wait. No, they're fully aware. They know. But it's still frustrating to watch because we know that they're capable of more. I am hoping and praying that (laughs) Dana's team doesn't lose to Oregon State this week. Fingers crossed, please, that that doesn't happen. That would be a yikes. But building an at-large resume, out the window. Oregon needed 4-1 and one against five teams that are under 500 in conference play. All of them. And they start 0-2. So they got to go to Corvallis this week, play the Beavs. And then they've got the Bay Area schools. You can't build a, you can't build a resume when you only have 15 wins to get an at-large at that point. So conference tournament or bust. Disappointing, for sure. Uh, Ending on a high note here, because again, I told you, I'll go triple bogey, then birdie. Maybe we just need to become a spring sports podcast here. Maybe we do. Keep an eye on football, and maybe we just go all in on baseball and softball. I'd be here for it. I like college baseball, too. Softball's one of the fastest growing sports in the United States. It's really fun to watch. I love calling it. Oregon softball, 8-2. and Coach Lombardi. Great start. Outstanding. Mark Wasikowski, baseball, home series opener for your first four games of the year. Series sweep, Xavier. Easy money. Taking care of business. Getting it done. 
We'll keep checking in on them throughout the year. Because you got to have some optimism. I mean, it can't be, can't be all negative all the time or else that was just, no, you can't, can't, can't have that. So hopefully baseball and softball keep things rolling. Appreciate everyone listening. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.